Well, I appreciate you for being here today and joining us on our websites or whatever platform you're on. Thank you for joining us here today. You know, we've been following the life in the last couple of weeks of Saul of Tarsus. There's an interesting thing that happens to him during this period that we're looking at today. You see, Saul of Tarsus was a man who was absolutely bent on destroying the new Christian church. He was bent on destroying the disciples of Jesus Christ, anyone who followed Christ or who claimed the name of Jesus would necessarily be persecuted and or executed with his instruction. And so last week we recognized the fact that in this account of Saul of Tarsus, he had been given instructions from the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem to travel north to persecute those who had fled Jerusalem and fled into Syria, into Damascus area. And so he took a contingency of people with him, a little police force that had been uh, given him by the Sanhedrin to carry out his orders as well, and they were en route to Damascus, which was a six-day trip north. Just a few miles perhaps outside of Damascus, a bright light came from heaven and blinded Saul, and he and all of his men fell to the ground. Saul was blinded, but then a voice came out by saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul responded by saying, who are you? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, and now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Well, the Bible says that Saul got up and was blind, and this raging person whose whole life was bent on destroying Christian followers was being led into Damascus. It wasn't a triumphal entry. It wasn't one of these entries where he was coming in, storming through, breaking open the doors of of the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ and persecuting them at all. He was blind. He was helpless, being led by the hand, by the people that were with him, this contingency of, of people already given to him, commissioned by the Sanhedrin. And he went to a house, and there he stayed for three days, blind, not eating, not drinking, and as we see, just praying, because he has no idea what's about to transpire in his life. Let's pick it up in the 10th verse of chapter 9 of Acts. The Bible reads this way, in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias, The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Well, if you're listening to this message today, you may be sitting or standing there thinking to yourself, you know, I, I'm not one that can hear the Word of God. I'm not one that can respond to the Word of God. I'm not one whose life has really been indicative of somebody who's considered a disciple or a Christ follower. My background, you may be saying, is one that has not been uh, very nice. Perhaps I've done a lot of things in my life that I regret now. Perhaps I, I feel like I'm outside the, the, the realm of God's forgiveness. I, I can't explain all of my activities and actions of past and and I, I don't believe that God can forgive me. And even if he did forgive me, I don't believe that he can use me because I'm just not that kind of a person that uh, has been groomed for God's usage. Well, you may be here today and maybe you're thinking, I have served God in, in times past and yet, I don't know, with, with my situation here on earth, Maybe I've got physical issues that are going on. Maybe I've got limitations that are hitting me. I'm not the person I used to be physically. I don't feel like I'm emotionally as strong as I was. I'm not as spiritually adept as I was at one particular point. I think that God probably has passed on. Well, I want to tell you, He will use you if you will make yourself useful to Him. And there are four things that I want to leave with you today. The first is availability. You'll notice in this passage that Ananias was available. I have learned over my life that God is not really interested in our ability nor our inability, only our availability. You see, God can use anything He so desires. And so he desires to use us. It's his plan. It's his purpose. He is creator. We are created in his image for his purpose to glorify him through our activities and our attitudes and our actions. And so he desires to use you for his purpose, to be available. There are two characters in here that you should pay attention to. First is Judas. It's kind of an interesting aside that I think is a little uh, interesting. There are two names here, Judas and Ananias. Judas and Ananias were uh, names of uh, dis, 
just bad usage in that day. You know that Judas was the name of Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus. And Ananias was one who had lied to the disciples about their, their gifts and their offerings. But now those names that were in disrepute are now reputable names being used for the glory of God. So don't ever think your name cannot be uh, overcome, if you will. First name I want you to see is Judas. We don't know a thing about Judas. There obviously were a number of Judases in that area at that time because Jesus was very specific. He said, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. There, could have, there was obviously Judases that lived on other streets, but there was only one Judas on Straight Street, and he was the one that was housing Saul of Tarsus. Many of you have hospitality as one of your spiritual gifts. It is a spiritual gift. And some of you have opened your homes to Bible studies and, and to let people stay there and, and lodge there and, and have meals with you and so on and so forth. Your hospitality has uh, extended beyond your home and its reputation. And so Judas had this hospitality. He had, he had opened his home to Saul of Tarsus, and God used Judas. Uh, you don't know him now, but you will know him one day when you're standing with him before the Lord in all God's glory. And then there's a second person, Ananias. Don't know much about Ananias, actually. Paul would say later on in Acts 22, he would say this about Ananias, that he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. So we know that Ananias was obviously a Jew who was an observer of the law that had converted to Christianity, became a Christ follower along the way. And he was very faithful in his discipleship with Jesus Christ. And so we understand that this Ananias was somebody that would also listen to God because he was available. You see, we see that he was immediately responsive in being available. He said, yes, Lord, he answered. And then God gave them his assignment. So the next thing I want you to see is his assignment. My first question, of course, are you available today? Are you available? Are you, is your heart and mind and ears open to what the Lord would ask you to do? Now, I want you to think about that seriously. Because the next, next step is your assignment. Boy, I've gotten some assignments from God that I never thought I would have. God assigned me here, and I never thought I would come to Sun City Center but I can't tell you how much we love it and how much we love you all and how grateful we are. But his assignment, notice in verse 11, he said, go to the house of Judas. And then in verse 15, he says, go emphatically. Go, just go. Two-thirds of the word God is go. We can't always be uh, available and obedient if we're sitting where we're sitting. We've got to get up from our seats and get after the assignment that's been placed before us. A lot of us would like to sit around and, and discuss it, debate it, argue about it, 
go to the to the links that we expect to go to in conversation and not do a thing about it. Talk is cheap. We need, God didn't call any of us to sit. He called us to serve. And that's what he has asked Ananias to do. Just go. And even after Ananias gave his, his uh, rebuttal, God said, go, emphatically, just go. Go to the house of Judas. And here's your assignment. I want you to go to this house of Judas, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. When you get there, you're going to place your hands on him. He's going to receive the Holy Spirit, and he's going to receive his sight. That's the assignment. Now, we would uh, think it's a done deal. I mean, God has already prepared this man for Ananias. He's already referred referred him to Saul of Tarsus in a vision that he had by name and told him what's going to happen. A man's going to come to you. His name's going to be Ananias. You're going to be sitting right where you're sitting, blind and not able to do anything, and yet he's going to come and lay hands on you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and your eyesight will be restored. Look for Ananias. He's on his way. And so to Ananias, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is your assignment. I've already prepared the place for you. I've had assignments like this where God has called me to go to certain fields. I've never been there before, didn't know the people. I've heard that the areas were not uh, susceptible to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to say the least. I've heard that the people could be hostile. There could be some angry reaction and resistance to what you're going to say. And yet you feel, this is where God has called me. This is where I need to go. To be available is one thing, but to receive your assignment and to be willing to go is another thing entirely. Are you ready? Have you received that assignment from God? Has he called you to do something, to say something, to be something? And yet you're still sitting there without explanation. Hmm. And then thirdly, and I want to linger on this for a few minutes, there's that attitude adjustment. You know, Ananias argued with God about this. And God doesn't mind being argued with. He's got big shoulders. People question him all the time. Job questioned him. God's got broad shoulders. He can handle it. He's God. He knows our fallibility. He understands that our weaknesses are sometimes stark, to say the least. And here's what Ananias said. He said, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Really, God? I mean, Peter and John, look at what happened to them. They had this great revival experience on the day of Pentecost. There they were in preaching out in, in the courtyard of the temple. And that day of Pentecost, some 3,000 men came forward to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and be baptized. And the Bible says, and daily there were being added those such as should be saved on a daily basis. There's a revival going on in Jerusalem. And yet, Philip goes down to Samaria, a place that no Jew wanted to go. Philip goes down there, 
and entire villages are turning over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's just having the time of his life. And to Ananias, God said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to this one person who's got a bad reputation and talk to him about me. Lord, you see, these people who had been persecuted in Jerusalem, who had escaped that persecution, had fled northward up into Damascus and that whole region in Syria, up in that area. And they had been telling the Christ followers up in that area from synagogue to synagogue, from house to house, this Saul of Tarsus is a bad man. He's not a a good person. He's dragging men and women out of their houses. He's he's not only beating them, he's stoning them, he's, he's having them killed in certain cases, imprisoning them, all of these things that he's doing in the name of the law of Israel. Hmm. He's not a good person. Well, I, when you read about those who were seeking out the criminals that perpetrated their crimes against the Jews during World War II, during that Holocaust period where six and a half million Jews were not only exterminated, but they had some of the most atrocious experiments performed on them by their German captors. In the play, The House on Garibaldi Street, it records where one of the Jews who who was assigned to guard the infamous Adolf Eichmann after his arrest when they found him alive in Argentina, This Jewish guard said he felt his skin crawl with indignant rage, intensified by terrible memories. I can only imagine. I can only imagine how that must have felt. Ananias must have had some of those similar thoughts as God was asking him to go to this Saul of Tarsus, this henchman of the Sanhedrin that was wreaking havoc on the Christ followers. You just go. We need an attitude adjustment. Well, you know, we can never fully be prepared for God until we're willing to move out of our comfort zones. Wow. You see, some of us have to realize in our lives that God doesn't use perfect people to perform His will. There's only been one perfect person who's ever walked the face of the earth. And the, and the Father used him. And he's going to come back again. But physically, he's not around. And there's no other perfect people. You see, when you look at the Scriptures from Genesis all the way up to Revelation, God uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. He uses imperfect people to perform his perfect will. There are no perfect politicians. There are no perfect leaders. There are no perfect business people. There are no perfect teachers, nor pastors, or preachers, or any of those things. We're all imperfect people, saved by the grace of God, that God uses for His own purpose, for His own ability. And those of you that are hearing this message that think that you can't be used because of some imperfection in your life should reconsider that stance right now because God can and will use you. 
Now, why does he use humans? Well, that's kind of a mystery to me. You see, with Balaam, he can use a donkey to talk if he needs to. He can use a bush in the situation with Moses. Why does he need humans? Because it's his plan. We're created in his image, and this is what he desires to do. And those of us that allow him to use us receive a blessing that we would never have received before, and it's beyond anything we can comprehend. But then there's that that refusal for that attitude adjustment to be uh, changed. And we're refused to get out of our comfort zone. Time and time again, I hear people tell me, I can never go on a mission trip. I can never talk to my neighbor about Jesus. I, I don't feel comfortable doing that. Well, God didn't come to this earth through His only begotten Son to live to die on the cross for your comfort or for mine. Bottom line, God didn't give His only begotten Son so that you and I would be comfortable. And that's an attitude adjustment. He didn't call us to sit. He called us to serve. He didn't call us to occupy a pew. He called us to be obedient to whatever it is. And that's an attitude adjustment that necessarily has to transpire. And so we move out of our comfort zone. You can never walk on the water until you get out of the boat. It's the way of God. Peter said, Lord, just bid me come. Jesus said one word, come. You want to do it? Don't talk about it. Your friends aren't going to help you out here. They're saying you're nuts. What are you doing stepping out of the boat? What are you stepping out of your comfort zone for? Let somebody else do it. Well, here comes Ananias. He went to the house. Are you surprised? He entered it. Aren't they specific? Step by step. He placed his hands on Saul. That's a change because Saul just wanted to get his hands on Ananias and the other Christian followers. Now a Christian follower is putting his hands on Saul. I love it. He said, Brother Saul, you see that attitude adjustment? Called him brother. Can you imagine this man who hasn't eaten for three days, hadn't drank anything for three days, he's been in total darkness because he's totally blind. And he hears the voice of that one who says, Brother Saul. His heart must have leapt. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. What a scene. What a scene. What a time to be alive and in service. Ananias didn't know exactly what would transpire at that particular point, but he knew God had a plan for his life. Well, at that point, when he laid hands on Saul, the Holy Spirit came into Saul's life. He was given. Whenever you trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, at that point, at that very moment, the Holy Spirit enters into your life. And He seals you for redemption. He seals you until the time the Lord calls you home. It is God's seal on your life that you've trusted Him as your personal Lord and Savior. There was no ecstatic utterances or speaking in tongues or dancing around. There was nothing that we see there. 
It was just a matter of obedience. And when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, through your obedience and your faith in Him as your only begotten Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And then what did He do? He got up immediately and was baptized. Scales fell from his eyes. The first person that he saw was Ananias. And I'm sure Paul Saul jumped up and hugged him, probably to Ananias' surprise. And yet he immediately was baptized. Why was he baptized? Saul had seen this. He had been in Jerusalem. And I firmly believe that he was there on the day of Pentecost listening to Peter preach. I believe that he was there when he saw these 3,000 men come forward to be baptized there in the pools of Siloam, to be baptized of Peter. And I firmly believe that he had seen others being baptized as well and heard about the baptisms down in Samaria when Philip was down there and Peter and John continued on their way back to Jerusalem. So he knew this is what was necessary. John the Baptist was out in the wilderness baptizing, preaching uh, repentance. And so it was required of all people who would follow Jesus. They didn't baptize infants. They baptized believers. They baptized believers. Why? Because it is a public statement of faith and belief in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And it is obedient to Him to be baptized. It's like you and I, when we were married, could have easily eloped. We could have done it on the fly, on the secret, and yet it wouldn't have had the impact on the community and on us. As standing before our family and friends, our well-wishers, making a covenant with one another in the face of those well-wishers. And when that happens, when that happens, we all were seen as one. Same thing with baptism. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For when you're baptized, you're totally immersed in the water to symbolize His burial. And you're raised up again. Paul would put it this way in his letter to the church at Corinth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Let's bury them. Behold, all things are becoming new. Wow. Buried with Christ into His death, He would say to the church at Rome, like Christ, we are raised to walk in a newness of life, a different walk, a different lifestyle. So baptism is your public profession of faith. Or is baptism necessary for salvation? No. But it is necessary for obedience. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and He delights in His way. So it's step one, two, Three, you can't take the third step until you've been faithful in the second. You've repented. You've trusted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. But you've not professed your faith in Jesus Christ publicly. He was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. But the fourth element here is the element of accountability. You see, Saul was accountable to Ananias. And he was accountable to the Lord because the Lord told him there's going to be an individual that's going to come to you and this is what he's going to do. And I'm sure during those three days God has already started preparing him for his ministry. For he told Ananias, 
He said, this is what I'm going to do. This man is going to be my chosen instrument. Have you ever felt like a chosen instrument? You're a chosen vessel? That's why God uses people. Because He chooses to do so. We are His fish and loaves. We are His hands, His eyes, His ears, His feet to a lost and dying generation. Well, he said, Paul, you're going to carry my name before the Gentiles, the non-Jews, the non-Jewish nations of the world will be your priority. That's number one. Number two, he says, and to their kings. You're going to penetrate the power structures of the world. The power of God can penetrate anything, certainly the power structures of the world. Those who had position and power and influence are going to have the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrating their hearts and minds. And you see in the pages to follow, Paul did that with so many of the rulers in the Roman Empire as well as the Jews. And then he said, and also the people of Israel. Paul wanted this to be on the top of the list, but Paul was no longer in control. Much to his chagrin, Paul was the one being instructed. He was no longer the commander. He was no longer the captain of his own fate. He was now a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he said, the people of Israel, you'll also serve, but your priority will be the Gentile nations, the non-Jewish world. Hmm. Well, you're here this morning, and you're saying, you know, I'm available. I am available. I read my Bible. I go to Bible studies. I go to worship services. I am available. And in my time, I tell the Lord, I'm available. Do with me what you want to. But how do you know that you've got an attitude adjustment? Take that one thing that you really don't want to do, that one person that you really don't want to talk to, that one area that you really don't want to go to. Maybe it's a culture, maybe it's a race, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a nation, maybe it's a belief, maybe it's a political persuasion, whatever the case might be. You take that one thing that you're really reluctant to do, that one person that you're reluctant to talk to, that one area that you're reluctant to visit, and say, Lord, this is what you want me to do. I'm willing to go. Just send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and this is all kind of a strange thing to you, but open your heart to Him today. Ask Him to come into your life. Ask Him for forgiveness of your sins your disobedience to Him, and ask Him to forgive your sin, come into your life and make you what He wants you to be. And then for others, maybe you've never followed Him faithfully in public profession of faith or baptism by immersion. Maybe you haven't made that public statement. You're reluctant. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment about that. Some of you are looking for a church home. I'm praying that you'll find it right here. I'm praying that those of you that are watching this particular message on one of our platforms, that you'll find a church home and get active. Get active. For all of us, it's a time to be available. 
to receive our assignment, to get the attitude adjustment if it's necessary, and to be accountable to the Lord for our obedience and to one another as well. Stand with me, if you will, for prayer. Our most gracious Father, we come before you today recognizing the fact that we haven't always been faithful in keeping your word. We like to think that we're available. And yet, when it comes to an attitude adjustment, we just don't have it sometimes. Sometimes we don't have that accountability about being faithful to discharge what you've asked us to do. But Lord, on that moment, when you say go, don't let us hesitate. Don't let us miss a beat. Don't let us stay in our pew or in our chair or in our comfort zones. Let us get out and walk with you. We praise you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you. Be with us now. Lord, may you be honored and glorified above all things. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's anyone who is making a decision of any kind, I will be here at the front to talk to you about any decision. You're looking for a church home. You're looking for any of these decisions that are being made. The Lord has been moving in your heart. I'll be more than willing to pray with you about whatever decision the Lord has laid on your heart. May the Lord bless and keep you, and may you have a fantastic week in Jesus' name.